And a leper came to him, imploring him, that's imploring Jesus, and kneeling. By the way, you can find the, the parallel text of this account in Matthew chapter 8 and also Luke chapter 5. So if you're interested in looking at this uh, from different perspectives, the same account, you can see it there. He comes to him, he's essentially worshiping Christ is what he's doing here in reverence. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus would no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. This is no doubt an example of the healing ministry of Christ. We've been told that he has been praying. We, we looked at his, his, his praying ministry last week, and we, we saw that people who really love Christ pray, and Christ is our ultimate example. And when we fail in our prayers, we have a high priest who continually is praying even for us. When we fail in praying, Christ doesn't fail in praying. He is always faithful. He is the one who continually is in prayer. We saw that he heals and physical healing. We saw that that is different uh, than casting out demons. Demon possession, uh, demonization is, is different uh, than physical healing. These two things are are totally different. And here in this account, we have a, a story of a leper. Jesus has been healing all sorts of people. We have a, a story of someone who is physically sick, a specific account of a person who comes to Christ and says, I want to be healed. And no doubt if a person has been uh, diagnosed with a deadly disease, the desire is, I don't want this anymore. I want to be healed. And no, one, no one likes to have a disease. And it's, it's, it's something that unless one is actually experiencing it, we can, we can sympathize with people, we can pray over people, but there's a certain horror to the whole thing of when the doctor comes in and he says, you have deadly cancer. It's terminal. You're going to die. There is something very profound about that. There is something very sobering about that. We don't like talking about death. But the truth is, every person in this room, someday, unless Christ returns first, is going to die. And so this man comes out of desperation to the Lord, reverencing him, bowing before him in an act of worship and an act of faith, saying, Lord, will you please, if you will, will you heal me? 
Now, we've heard many times people will say things like, listen, when you go to Christ, you need to come in faith. So you don't want to add taglines like, if you will. And you'll hear people pray like that. Lord, we come to you. We ask you for the healing of so-and-so. We pray, God, that you would heal their body if you will. And there are certain people who come along and they say, shh, don't, don't say that at the end of that, if you will. That kind of ruins it. It kind of shows that there's a lack of faith in the person. What we need to do is come to the Lord with a great amount of confidence, knowing he's going to heal us and asking him in that way. The truth is, unless God gives the gift of faith, a supernatural level of faith, the, the truth of the matter is that most of the time we don't know. We don't know if we're going to be healed. And it's actually not right to come to the Lord and say, I know you're going to heal me. That's not faith. I know you're going to heal me if you don't know. And then we get into this mental brain game. I think I know he's going to heal me. I'm trying to make myself know. If I, if I get to the place where I do know, then he'll finally heal me. As if God is sitting up in the heavens saying, listen, you've got to get your mind to some place where you finally get in this knowledge of saying, I know he's going to heal me. But let me ask you something. How do you know if he's going to heal you if you don't know? How do you know? And so when we come to the Lord, unless the Lord gives us this providential gift of faith where we do know, it's just like, be healed. And we see that in the text of Scripture. There is nothing wrong or there is nothing faithless about coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, if you will. The question is, do we believe in his power to heal? That's where the faith comes in. I can't believe in something unless it's actually been guaranteed. Well, I've been guaranteed that the Lord has all power. I've been guaranteed that those who come in repentance and faith will actually receive salvation. That's a guarantee. That's a promise. I believe that the Lord here, according to this text, is compassionate and kind and merciful, and he has pity on those who are sick. But there's no voice from heaven that every time someone prays, God says, Remember, you've got to know this person's going to be healed before I heal them. There's no text that says that. And so we come to the Lord, and the burden is taken off of us when we come to the Lord, and we simply tell him, Lord, I don't know exactly what you're going to do in this situation. But God, I am asking you, I'm asking you, Lord, if it be your will, Lord, I believe that you have the power. I believe that you're our healer. I believe in the miracles of the scripture, and I believe that you're still healing people today. And God, I come to you in reverence and in faith, recognizing who you are, that you are the healer. And Lord, I'm asking you, I am laying myself in genuine faith before your feet, and I'm simply allowing myself to come underneath your sovereignty. And I'm just saying, Lord, if you will, if you will. There's a, there's a beautiful desperation here. There's a holy desire on the part of this man. This man is broken. This man is an outcast. This man is about to die. Now, leprosy in the Bible... 
there are uh, different uh, forms of skin diseases. Uh, there's all sorts of different skin diseases in the Scripture. And they're all lumped under the word leprosy. We're not sure if this man has the kind of leprosy that we think of when we think of leprosy. When we think of leprosy today, we think of something called Hansen's disease, Hansen's disease. I don't know if you've ever looked up Hansen's disease or leprosy, but it is a horrific thing to look at pictures of people who have this. It's actually a bacterial disease. It was discovered, this bacterium was discovered in the late 1800s by a, a man with the last name of Hansen, G.A. Hansen. And he discovered that this bacteria was the, the cause for people who have leprosy. And this bacteria comes and it eats at tissue. It causes tissue to deteriorate. It causes bodies to be deformed, and it attacks the nervous system. One of the main things that uh, Hansen's disease does is it attacks nerve endings to where people can no longer feel pain. They can't feel pain. And so as a result for not being able to feel pain, uh, they do things to themselves and they don't even realize they're hurting themselves. A person can spill a cup of boiling water on themselves and not even feel the pain, or they can place their hand upon a hot stove and not feel it because the nerve endings have been damaged because of this bacterium. In fact, one account that I read was a true story of some lepers who had fallen asleep, and during the night, rats had come, literally come, and had eaten away at their fingers and their hands, so they wake up and uh, the rats had a full belly, but they were missing some fingers. It is a disgusting disease. It's a disease that eats away at you. There's some myth and there's some folklore about limbs falling off, but oftentimes this is as a result of people can no longer feel pain, so they're rubbing their nose, they're rubbing their ear, and things are beginning to wear away. They don't even know it. It's horrible. All sorts of secondary infections come as a result of it. If you look up people with uh, Hansen's disease, you'll see great deformities in the face, deformities in the, in the limbs, uh, uh, bones that are warped. I mean, it is an ugly, ugly thing. And so here comes this, this person who has been deformed. He has this horrible disease running and ripping through his whole system. Who knows what he looks like? Pus is probably coming out of different sores. His face is distorted. His body is contorted. He looks awful. And he comes to Jesus in his desperation, and he says, Lord, Lord, listen, no one else likes me. No one else cares for me. I'm an outcast. Lord, will you heal me? Now, it's interesting, we have, uh, we have some background information because uh, leprosy was something that was uh, regarded as something you don't go around a person who is a leper. In fact, in the Old Testament, we have all sorts of laws regarding it. So let's go to uh, Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus chapter 13. And... We'll look at uh, what the scripture says about um, those who 
had leprosy, we have some civil, some ceremonial laws here in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body. Then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. And the priest shall examine the diseased area of the skin on his body. And if the hair is the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body... It is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So there's all sorts of different kind of diseases, skin diseases in particular, that are lumped under this word leprosy. And if someone is found to have one of these skin diseases, he is to go to the priest, he is to be examined, they are to look at him, and they are to determine, does he have indeed one of these skin diseases? And if so, he is to be considered unclean. Unclean. Now you go in the same chapter to verse 45. Look with me at verse 45 of this same chapter. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, if someone gets this awful disease of leprosy, and in our text it's very likely that this man has what we would call Hansen's disease, he's to go to the officials of Israel, in particular the priest, and they're to look at him and they're to say, yes, you have it, and then he is to be ostracized. He no longer can live with his family. He has to go outside of the camp. And whenever he's walking along, he has to keep such a distance from people, and he has to alert them to the fact that he has leprosy by shouting, unclean, unclean. And it's interesting, they really don't know exactly how this is transmitted. They're still studying this even today. But they think it has to do with constant contact and even things like nasal dripping. But there was great fear in this day of people who had leprosy. And you can imagine, as this person is living with other lepers outside of the camp, and as he has to walk around, everyone's looking at him. He's deformed. He's ugly. And they have to say, unclean, unclean. And when people see him, they say, well, we're going to walk on the 
the other side of the street. He, he's over there, especially if he's downwind. We, we don't want to catch anything. So this, this man is a, is a desperate man. This man is a dying man. This is a man who needs healing. Now we could look at this and we could say to ourselves, well, here's a guy who's a leper. He's obviously in a desperate situation. He obviously needs some kind of help. We could say that the whole point here is Jesus is the healer. He comes to Jesus, he gets healed, end of story. And so today, Jesus still today, he's, he, he can still, uh, as he did then, he can, he can cure leprosy today as he, as he did then. Let me ask us, you a, a question. Is there anything deeper that the Lord is trying to get across to us in this text? You, you think about it. You think about this, this man who is, who is unclean. You think about the fact that he has been ostracized. You think about the fact that he's living in a camp outside of the camp. You think about the fact that he's dying. Then all of a sudden we begin to think about it and we see stunning parallels to sin. The Lord here is not just simply teaching us about a man, just giving us one incident of someone who needs to be physically healed. And so all we do is we say to ourselves, oh my, leprosy is a horrible disease. It is, and we would all agree with that. And we simply go home and we think to ourselves, boy, leprosy is a bad disease. I hope I don't get that. I hope I don't get AIDS. I hope I don't get some kind of a leukemia or some kind of cancer. I hope I don't get any of these diseases. And uh, we just say, Lord, when we do get one of these diseases, we know that we're going to come to you in prayer. That's all right and good. The question is, is that all? Is that all that's being given here? I want to give five things, if you happen to be taking notes today, that show us some parallels between the leprosy that Christ is dealing with here in this account and sin. Number one, the horrific nature of sin. The horrific nature of sin. In this scripture, Christ is showing us that there's more than just this person is in a dire state. What he is showing us is that every one of us in this room are lepers. Every one of us have have been diseased with something that is both horrifying and condemning and causing us to die, it's fatal. That's number one, the horrific nature of sin. Number two, it's numbing effect. It's numbing effect. Sin has a numbing effect. Just like with this man who was diseased and the longer his disease went on, the less he could feel pain. And instead of that being a good thing, 
It's actually a horrible thing because if you can't feel pain, you don't understand and you don't realize when you're damaged. And the longer it went on, and the longer this disease goes on, the worse a person's condition is to the point of where they are missing different parts of their body. Here's the parallel. There are people in sin, it's horrific, it's awful, it's deadly, it's lethal, and yet they don't realize it. There are people today in this room who are sitting under the deadly influence of sin. And instead of seeing it for what it is, listen, listen, the longer a person remains in sin without Christ, the longer a person says, I'm okay, Everyone else is saying, but you're not okay. Your hand is on the stove. Don't you see your hands on the stove? No, I'm fine. Things sizzling. The longer a person decides, I don't need Jesus, I'm okay, the numbing effects of sin become worse and worse. This is why, this is why we, should, we should be afraid when a person, listen, a person hears the gospel over and over and over and over again, but instead of repentance, and instead of going, my hand's on the stove, instead of realizing I'm poking my eye out, and I don't see the fact that I'm doing that, or that my nose is caved in, instead of recognizing that, the person without Christ who's living in sin, the gospel keeps going forward. The gospel keeps going forward, but listen, as a person rejects it, as a person does not listen to it, instead of becoming more and more tender to the gospel, the exact opposite happens where a person actually becomes more and more and more numb to the gospel to where the gospel at one point was loud. Repent and believe. There's conviction of sin. There's a, there's a seeing of a need for a Savior. But all of a sudden, that voice that was clear becomes repent. And pretty soon, a person can't hear it anymore. And unless the grace of God, listen, unless the grace of God intervenes in such a profound and powerful way, that person will continue on in their damning sin without recognizing the remedy. You can find people go, oh, no, your hand's fine. It's okay. It's good. You're fine. You, you can go places where they'll be like, no, no, it's all, it's all right. It's, a, it's no problem. No, that misinterpretation. Numb, numb, numb. Where, where are you at today? Let, let me ask you this. You might be someone who you have said, oh, I'm a Christian, but you know in, in, in your heart of hearts you're not. 
You have no fruit. And Jesus didn't say, you'll know them by their confession. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Much of America says that they're Christians. But there are many people who are numb because they've been raised with certain understandings of church, certain understandings of Christ, certain understandings of the Bible, but they've never really understood the Scripture, and when they've been confronted with it, they reject it. Let me ask you this. Are you seated here today, and yet you remain unconverted? Are you seated here today and you know that the Lord has been calling to you and calling to you and calling to you and calling to you and he is saying, repent and believe, but you're playing games with God and you know it. Listen, friend, don't wait. The longer you wait, the longer you play games, the longer you find people who will just feed into you what you want them to feed you. Listen, the more numb all rhyme, the more numb you will become. How's that? The more numb you'll become. How many people, listen, this isn't about you coming here on Sunday morning. Let me ask you this, Christian, you're a you're a Christian here. And um, you're a Christian. The Lord has been trying to speak to you about an issue in your life. And he's been saying, give it to me. But you've been dodging. He's saying, give it to me, surrender this particular thing in your life. And you're like, no, but I can't. You don't know my situation that I'm in. And the Lord right now is putting his finger in a loving, compassionate way, in a convicting way on your heart, believer, person dearly loved by Christ and in Christ. And he's saying, I've been telling you, I've been leading you. I've been giving this to you. But if you're not careful, you're going to become more and more numb to my voice. The numbing effect of sin. Thirdly, the diagnosis of the law. The diagnosis of the law. Here, here what, do they, what do they do here in this, in this text? Someone has, someone has leprosy. What do they do? What does Jesus say this guy has to do? What does Leviticus chapter 13 tell us to do? Well, they have to go to the priest. And here's what the priest does. The priest goes, mm-hmm, yep, spots, uh, deformity, you've got leprosy. That's what he does. He, he examines, that's what our text says, he examines and then he diagnoses. He, he simply says, okay, yep, you've, you've, got the, you've got the leprosy. I've examined it and I've looked at it and I'm determining that based upon what I'm seeing, based upon the evidence, you have leprosy. And the person goes, is that it? 
No, that's not it. Here's what you got to do. Now you got to go outside of the camp and you got to yell unclean, unclean whenever you see people around you and you're going to live a, a miserable life. Listen, basically you're condemned. That's exactly what the law does. This is what the, the law, that is the commands of God in Scripture do over and over again. This is what the Bible clearly teaches us that the law does. From the beginning of the book of the Bible to the very end of the book, the commands and the laws of God only diagnose, only examine, and only condemn. They do not help. So here's what the law does. We come before the law, and the law says things like, have you murdered anyone? We say, no, of course we haven't murdered anyone. And then Jesus says, but I'm giving you a new law here. He says, um, even if you get angry with your brother in your heart, you've committed, you've committed murder. You, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you're looking at porn, if you're looking at porn and you're lusting after women or you're lusting after men in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And so the person who hears the law, listen, all the law does is it doesn't make anybody good. All the law does is condemn. All the law does is it examines. It's like the priest who goes, mm-hmm, yep, you've got it. That's what the law does in our case. It looks at us and it says, the law says, Sinner. This is why we try to get away from the law. We don't like it because it's the law accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to a place where we recognize our sin. We get convicted. So the law comes in and says things like Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. That's law. Anything that is, listen, anything that is commanded in Scripture... Anything that is told to us in Scripture, anything that comes to us and says, you must do this or you shall do this, that's law. So when we come before the Scripture and the Scripture says things like this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's law. Instead of going, oh yeah, that's something we can do. What the law is telling us in that case is we don't love the Lord our God with all of our soul, mind, and strength. And so the law, which is righteous, the commands of God which are holy and just and good, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with the laws of God. But listen, we don't like being examined. We don't like the spotlight of the law shining down upon us and saying, in secret you're doing this and it's wrong. And so what we try to do is we try to, what we do is we lie and we begin to make all sorts of excuses 
about why we're actually running from God or why we're actually running from the people of God or why we're running away from the scriptures or why we're running away from prayer. And the truth of the matter is we know it in our own hearts and God knows it that the law of God has put its finger on our hearts and has said to us, you've been examined and you've been judged and you have been found to be guilty. That's exactly what Romans tells us. That all of us have been found guilty under the law of God. What we like to do is we like to say, I'm pretty much a good person, I'm basically good. Yeah, I make some mistakes, and yeah, I do some bad things, and yeah, I don't always do the right thing. But listen, listen to Scripture, and, and I pray that, the, that, that you know that the Lord is specifically talking to you today Listen, he's not talking to your neighbor. And he is saying, you have been weighed and found wanting. The examination of the priest, the examination of the law, that's what we see. It diagnoses us. But then there's this beautiful fourth, the grace to see. The grace to see. And there are some people, listen, who come under the diagnosis of the law and they say, no! <laughs> That's not me. I'm not... I'm not going anywhere near that anymore. I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm not worthy of everlasting torment in a place called hell. That's not me. Any God who would say that is not a God of love. It's not a God of kindness. That's not the God I'm going after. But then there are people, you can have two people seated side by side, and one is going, resistance, resistance, resistance. I can't wait until I can just rid myself of this. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to be told this. And there are other people who are seated there who are going, that's exactly who I am. I'm a basket case. I'm a lawbreaker. I recognize in my own life that I'm impure and not good. For there is, Romans chapter 3, for there is none righteous, no, not one. There is not a person in this room that is righteous, that is, that does what's right or has a right heart. There's not one. And when the Holy Spirit applies the commands of God to our heart, we begin to really recognize and we can say with this leper, unclean, I'm unclean. And if that's you this morning, that's the grace of God in your life. There's, there's a beauty here in what this leper is saying. Th this leper goes, I, I recognize who I am. I recognize my need for help. I recognize that I have not been seen to be found clean. Oh, I'm unclean. 
I'm unclean. Have you ever gotten to that point where you've said to your God, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Listen, you will never know God. You will never know the kingdom of God. You will never go to heaven until you get to the point of where you humble yourself and you say, I'm unclean. And I'm going to tell you, friend, that is the most healing point you can ever get to in your life. And if you ever get to that point, it's only because of the grace of God and you will join the millions who have found amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. And the last parallel we see in this, and we've got to move on, is the desperate boldness of faith. So I want you to flip over to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. The desperate boldness of, of faith. Now, now that we've seen it, and now that we've gone to this parallel of seeing it, let, let's, let's read this together and let's think about this leper and then let's, let's put ourselves in, in, this, in this position by recognizing that that's who we are without Christ. And a leper came to him, verse 40, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me. You can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made, he was made clean. Listen, whoever goes to Christ this is the promise of Jesus. Whoever goes to him on their knees in worship and says, I'm unclean, will you make me clean? The promise of Jesus, John chapter 6, John 10. Whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. No matter what you've done, the picture of leprosy here is, is here for a reason. It's filthy. It's obscene. And what the scripture is saying is this, listen, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what deed of darkness you've done, no matter what path of sin you've taken, the grace of God is there to make you clean. The grace of God will make you clean. That's his promise. So we come to him and we say, Lord, I'm unclean. Will you make me clean? And he says this, I will make you whiter than snow. It's interesting, usually if a person touched a defiled person, they too would now become defiled and unclean. But listen, when Jesus, the clean one, touches the unclean, listen, instead of him becoming defiled, 
the sinner, or the leper in this case, they become clean. And this is, this is the, a picture of not only healing, but this is a picture of genuine conversion in the midst of the popularity of Christ. There's all sorts of people enamored with his ministry. There's all sorts of people going, wow, this is wonderful. But there's no desperation. There's no diagnosis of sin in their own heart. There's no, there's no understanding that they need to be clean. And there are thousands and perhaps millions of people today who are doing the same thing. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. We're on the bandwagon with you. You're so popular. We just want to be with you. We think you're just the greatest thing. But listen, in the midst of that crowd, in the midst of that popularity, there are people, because of grace, who have been given true eyes to see who he really is and that they need to see themselves for who they really are as unclean. And they come to Christ on their knees and they reach up and Jesus reaches out. He says, I, I don't care who you are. And in an act of compassion, in an act of love, he says, I will. And he makes the person clean. Let's keep reading here. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus sternly, in fact, the word here, uh, there's a hint of angrily, but it's a, it's a righteous sternness here. For Jesus says, listen, don't go tell anybody. Now, why would Jesus say that? I mean, you would think he would say, listen, what, what just happened to you is pretty amazing, isn't it? Now, go spread it, and I'll be here from five to seven, and... Uh, let them know that I'll be uh, happy to help. But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he knows the whims of the crowd. And he knows that all that they were after was just, oh, wonderful miracle maker. Let's, let's make Jesus the king. Isn't he wonderful because of all the superficial thoughts of their own minds and their own imaginations? And Jesus was saying, that's not why I've come. That's not what these healings are about, just to heal people so that I become extremely popular and then we start a political paradise. And he would not give in to that. And he sternly warns this man. He says, listen, don't you go tell anybody. Well, this man has been helped, but he's not completely changed because we see exactly what he does. Let's keep reading here. Verse uh, 45. By the way, he, he, he tells him uh, to go and, and to show himself to the, to the priest. He does that because of the law. And that's what the law commanded. You have to go show yourself. And then they had this whole restoration way of uh, bringing him back into the community. But I think even deeper than that, Jesus was saying... Go show yourself so that he knows who did this. 
So he goes before the priest and he says, I'm clean. The priest is like, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, only, only God can heal. Who healed you? Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. But notice what he does here. Verse 45. But he went out, that is the man who had been healed, and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town but was out in desolate places, places where there wasn't a, a dense population. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus says, shh, don't go tell. Next verse, man goes out and starts telling everybody, hey, guess what happened to me? And I just close by saying this, that oftentimes when God touches our lives, sometimes in our infancy, as we are first converted and first changed, we actually think, and this is something we wrestle with, for the rest of our Christian walk, that we know better than God. Don't tell anyone, I'm going to tell everyone. Keep quiet, I'm not going to keep quiet. The Lord is saying, I've done this for you. Now don't only worship me for who I am, but out of the worship of your own heart, trust me for where I'm leading you and what I tell you to do, even if you don't understand it. For my ways are what? Higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As we close, there are maybe someone here today or people here today you're going, God, I don't understand. You've done this great work in my life, and yet I don't understand where I'm at now. I don't understand your direction. What are you doing? Trust him. Trust him. For he's good. Will you stand with me as we close? Father, we thank you for your word today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to ask you if uh, you have come into this room this morning and you have recognized that you don't know Christ. You've never, you've never uh, really dealt with the fact that you need to be cleansed by Christ. We thank the Lord that he's our physical healer. But infinitely more important than him just healing our bodies temporarily in the here and now is the fact that he wants to cleanse us as first john says to cleanse us from all sin and if you're standing here this morning and you don't know christ and you would like to receive him by repenting and believing in jesus christ and asking him to come into your life this morning would you raise your hand you say that's me i need christ anyone else i need christ this morning I need Christ. I want to be very clear. If you already know Christ, then you are in Him, and the, the salvation is once and for all. But I want to ask a second question. 
We're not going to have an altar call this morning, but if you're standing here this morning and you're saying, I, I recognize that there are things in my life that I have not been dealing with. In fact, I sense that I'm becoming more numb to them. I know the Lord, but he's placing his finger on something in my life that I need to lay at the foot of the cross. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me? I need to lay something down before the Lord. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? I need to lay my burdens down before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray that we would be tender before you. Father, we thank you for the compassion, the pity that you showed upon this man who was desperately in need. God, we're in need before you day by day. We ask you, Lord, that you would continue to be merciful to us as we know you will be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.